Good to be with you again this morning. Um, Ryan, where'd Ryan go? I don't know, Ryan. Ryan, you're old hat now. He's been here four weeks. Uh, I'm two weeks in here. Um, and I, I think I've been set up today. Uh, this is rookie initiation or something. A new, the newsletter went out this week and it said that, I uh, quote, Mike Anderson continues our series with a deep dive into Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. And uh, so I'm supposed to do a deep dive into Ephesians 4 in a series called Ephesians, Our Unsearchable Riches. And um, I don't want to sell myself short here, um, but I also want to temper expectations. I don't want to, someone to have overpromised and I underdeliver because Ephesians 4 is a, a famous text about the church and the language there, the ideas about the church that are, we find that really do soar to the heavens. Uh, it'd be hard to uh, scratch the surface. It's not hard to, to, to do that, but to, to get everything out of a text like this in one Sunday morning sermon even if we had days and days here. Remember, these riches are, according to Ephesians, and it's a great series title, it comes right out of the book, these riches are unsearchable. Take, for example, the verse that captures the idea that's at the heart of the passage we're talking about this morning. We find in... Sorry, it's always a little work getting adjusted to a new pulpit, seeing where everything goes and fits. Um, this verse, in verse 13 in the middle of this passage, talks about us, or back to, to verse 12, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, and I read that and I say, what does that mean? And that's rich language, even grammatically that's challenging, but the, what it's saying about the church and who we are in Christ, it's deep, it's rich. What does that mean? There are unsearchable riches here. But even if we can't know fully what it means, we get a sense of what it means. We can approximate what it means. And, and even that line, we have these unsearchable riches in Christ, it means we can't know fully or exhaustively, sure, but we can know truly. It's not the kind of phrase that makes us say, well, these riches are exhaustible. I guess there's no sense trying. Close the book. And No, it's the kind of phrase that invites us, that says there are these rich treasures in Christ. And even if we can't exhaust them completely, we can dive in and go as deep as we can, immerse ourselves in these great truths about the Christian life and today about the church and trust that we can truly learn and grow according to what Jesus is telling us today about his church. What is he saying about the church here today? Building up the body of Christ. And all this talk of 
and this runs throughout the passage as it was so wonderfully read there, this idea uh, you get of a, of a church that's growing into fullness. And for all this exalted language, if I could um, use decidedly uh, less lofty language, I think what we're talking about here is being a good church. You're talking to some friend and they say, where do you go to church? And they I go to so-and-so. And I mean, they might not like it, but if they do like it, they'll probably say, you know, it's a really good church. It's a good church. These good people are, preach the word, worship's rich. It's a good community. They're, they're committed to the truth, but there's good relationships and generous spirit. It's, it's a good church. It's something we all want. I, I've moved twice in the last 10 years and both times my family have spent a few months looking for uh, a, a good church, somewhere we want to be part of. And even after we've said everything we have to say about not wanting to be consumers and having to accept the church as it is in reality and be uh, patient and, and all that, still we, we want to be part of a, a good church. And, and, and that's, that's right. Jesus wants us to be part of a good church and to be that kind of church and Ephesians 4 helps us grow into that kind of church because that's the really important thing here being this kind of church it isn't automatic it's not as though you can just plant a church and establish it on a really good foundation set it upright and have a great mission and vision and theological position and a, a good ethos and eventually find yourself in a, a beautiful building downtown in a great city and then say, we're set, we set the table and now we just put it on autopilot and be a, a good church forever. It doesn't work like that. And I'm not picking on Church of the City because it's a, a church plant. Every church was planted at some point. And you know, every church was like great when it started. <laughs> no church started where a lot of them end up. And for all the various reasons why that happens, what we have to realize today is that every church, even when a church is founded with, with great uh, foundations, a good starting point, needs to continually grow into what it is becoming. We have to grow into what we are. We have to be built up and grow in space and time into what we are and who we are spiritually in Christ. We have to build up the body of Christ. That comes right from the text. And someone says, but yeah, but Jesus builds the church. And so he does. And yet Jesus says to us, yes, my church, I build it, and I'm going to use you also to join me in doing this. We can think about building up the church in terms of the breadth and growth, like adding new people, that's part of it. The focus here, I'd say, is more is on that growth in depth and this idea of growing into fullness and maturity and stability. That's the kind of church that grows in breadth, but focus here is going to be a little more on that, that depth. Jesus builds the church, calls us to, to Join him in this. We have a part to play in building up the church. There, there are two actions and, and amidst all this rich language about the church. There are two, 
two actions that emerge that, that we are to engage in in order to play our part in building up the church. Um, now before getting to those a little briefly, we have to revisit the foundation because it has come earlier in this book, back in chapter two. Remember Jesus, uh, we find, has established one body through the cross. So Jesus founded the church through the cross. This is his body. And even the beginning of this passage, which Becky expounded for us last week, we saw the foundation of the church. There's one body, one spirit. We're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all. It is this uh, faith, what God has done in Christ that has brought us together as a church. Jesus Christ is the foundation. So let's establish that right off the beginning. And we only build on that, but we do build on it. Two key ways that this text tells us. First of all, we build up the church by using your spiritual gifts to serve one another. The passage begins in verse seven, and it begins with an adversative, but grace was given. So that obviously makes us ask what came right before it. And, and I read what just came before it, these seven ones that establish unity in the body. Where Paul calls our attention to the fact that, that there's this oneness to us as a church because of the oneness of our, our faith and our hope and our baptism, the oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is overall, through all, and in all. There are these realities that are common to every single one of us as believers in Christ, and that gives us our our oneness, which founds the call to maintain unity. But, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's this oneness. There's also this diversity. You are one, but oneness does not mean sameness. There's a God-given diversity in the church. This is Jesus' body, and Jesus, according to the measure of his gift, according to his will and his pleasure, he's placed people with different gifts in his body, as we'll see, for the purpose of building it up. He's gifted his church in diverse ways. There's this, first, right after saying this, and before he gets into talking a little more about the gifts, there's this citation of Psalm 68, and then a little bit more, a parenthetical statement, all this stuff about him ascending and descending to the lower regions. And if you open up commentaries on Ephesians, you'll find all kinds of discussion and debate. I remember in seminary, I had to write a paper on this passage, and and they wanted us to focus on this, little, this part right here, which you read all these debates on it, and you say, who even really knows what this is talking about? There are good theories and explanations. I, I'm sure that whatever I wrote wasn't the right answer. Um, it, there's some confusing language there. 
it's, it's, it's good to try to dig into this, these kind of things sometime. How does Paul cite Psalm 68? He seems to, to reflect a little differently than what it says in the original. What's going on there? And where, what is this, these lower regions? And how did Jesus ascend and descend? What, what does all that mean? Okay. The takeaway from here, though, I think is clear. In Psalm 68, well, clear enough. Uh, in Psalm 68, this amazing vision of God ascending his royal mountain as king and taking up his habitation as king. And, well, there it says received gifts from men. That's the, 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 one of the exegetical issues here. And here that's applied to Jesus and turned around to, to giving gifts to, to men and to women, to, to people. The really cool thing here is that it's identifying Jesus with the, as the divine king who as he ascends and is enthroned, gives gifts to his people, the church. The king has gifted you. And there's two kinds of gifts that are spoken up here. Gifts are thought of in two different ways. The first, the focus is on certain people gifts. Certain roles are, offices is probably too technical of a term, but as the church tradition developed, this is really the kind of language that um, was used to describe these, these people gifts that Jesus has given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, all these people with leadership, teaching roles in the church. Now, I, I gotta say, I'm feeling pretty good at, at this point because um, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a teacher. I've been ordained to the ministry. <laughs> Jesus has given these gifts to the church, so I might think that I'm kind of a big deal. But of course, if I thought that, first of all, I mean, I'm at the bottom of this list, <laughs> but still on it. But I'd be totally out of my mind on two counts. First of all, that Ephesians 4 began with a call to live out our lives in the church with humility. So no one in the church, whatever the role, should have some inflated sense of self-importance. And secondly, and really related to that, is, is that Jesus gave these particular people gifts to the church for a purpose. For building up, for, well, for equipping the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Your pastors, your teachers, we have a purpose here. And, and, and other leaders, whether they're ordained to the ministry, whether they're paid staff, your pastors, leaders, teachers have a role here, and that is to equip you, the whole body, for the work of ministry. So you may have heard the phrase, every member ministry. Some churches say this is a value of ours. It's not just some nice platitude. That's not something that applies simply to certain models of the church. This is Jesus' will and design for his church. Every member ministry. Because he has, back to verse 7, given grace to each one of us according to the measure of his 
gift. There's a certain kind of grace that's been given to all of us, a saving grace. It's not given in different measure. But when it talks about this different measure, it's, it's Jesus making different decisions. This is where the diversity comes from. And this reflects the biblical theology of spiritual gifts. And the Apostle Paul talks about them in other places. He gives catalogs of like representative types of gifts. Um, I like how Peter in, in his first epistle talks about spiritual gifts. He's Puts them broadly into two kinds of uh, gifts. There's teaching gifts and serving gifts. Uh, some speak, uh, some serve. Certainly not to say that those who, who serve don't at times speak and edify people with words or that those who have word gifts don't get their hands involved and serve. Of course, they do both. But there's two broad kinds of gifts, teaching and serving. And within those, all kinds of other gifts, some in here like teaching, evangelizing, uh, prophesying, encouraging. Um, there's like serving gifts, helps, mercy. Um, gifts like encouragement, which are kind of both. There's a, there's a diversity of gifts. And somehow they, they can align with your temperament, your personality, your natural talents. And sometimes somebody who like really didn't have something, they were shy, they couldn't talk in front of people, they become a, like a really powerful evangelist or preacher and the spirit just seems to take hold of them in a unique way. So we could talk all about like how, how you identify your gift and what the different gifts are. And it's, good, it's good to do that. We're not going to get too deep into that right now. We just want to really focus on how Jesus has given these gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And it's as you serve one another using your gifts, gifts that this church gets built up into what I know you want it to be. The kind of church you want to be at and what your kids at. You want to bring your friends and your neighbors to. See, when you use your gifts, you use your spiritual gift, that helps you grow. When you use it, with Christ-like character that Becky uh, expounded for us back in the beginning of chapter four, when you use your gift with that Christ-like character, you grow through that process. And also, as you all are using your gifts, human needs are being met. Someone's having the faith shared with them so they can believe in Jesus. Someone's teaching, that means someone's being taught and built up. Someone who has a practical need is served and helped by those who come alongside to help. Someone who's down is encouraged. Someone who's, who's hurting or who maybe whose life's gone a bit off the rails is, is shown mercy. Uh, a group is led. Someone keeps the books and crunches numbers. And all of these help meet real needs in the body and help a community to grow. So we start to see how... Um, Using our gifts builds up the body, and if I teach and you have me over for supper and some other people go to someone's house and help with a maintenance project, the body is built up. Relationships and community develop. Ministries happen. This isn't just, you're not cogs in a wheel that help to make an organization run smoothly. There, there's work to be done. There's ministries to be done. This is about building relationships and community happens as we serve one another, using our gifts. And so what we need to do then and encourage you to do is to know and to use your gifts. 
Um, I, I know this is a church, and Ryan mentioned it when he's doing the announcements earlier. This is a church that has an incredible volunteer base, and that I know values every member ministry. I mentioned to a friend a week or two ago when I found out I was coming to this church, oh, I'm going to be serving at Church of the City in Guelph, and he, he's never been part of this church. He lives in another city, but he planted a church as well around the same time, and he had, he had relationships with, with some of the leaders here as they were kind of in the same, on the same journey at the same time. And when I told him I was coming here, here's the text he wrote me. He said, one of the rare and beautiful things I admire about Church of the City is a strong, committed laity. Just the, the non-professional pastors, the, the people. Their volunteers are passionate and generous with their time and talents. It's hard to know who the paid and unpaid leaders are, and that's a really good sign. You'll have as much help as you could ever hope for. It's really a very special community. So be encouraged. That's just an outsider who knows something of this church. That, that's a good thing to be known for. So I know what's a value here. and just want to encourage you to, to not take that for granted. And not think that because it has been that way, it will always be that way. To keep living into this value. Uh, it, it's easy for those who serve to, to get tired, to burn out, for other reasons to withdraw, and to stop serving. And a, there's a time to say, I need a break, I need a little sabbatical. It's time for self-care and rest. But... It can happen that, that less and less people take on more and more of the work. You know, the 1090 or 2080 principle, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And from everything I understand, church in the city is not that kind of place. I think even a healthy church would be where like it's a 50-50 thing going on. I hope you can see that biblically, theologically, the goal is 100-100. 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. And also realizing, I read this great phrase the other day, if you're a tulip, don't try to be a rose. Find a tulip garden. Uh, when we understand how Jesus has gifted us diversely, it frees us to be ourselves. It's going to free you up to say no to some things you're asked to do. And it's going to help us who are asking to, to realize it's okay if someone says no sometimes to the things I ask. Well, I want them to be themselves, to use their gifts. And having this, this mentality of every member, every member ministry um, also helps us to respect and appreciate the gifts others have. They're different than me, and that's okay, that's good. We don't all have to be the same. Jesus has made it <clears throat> so that we are not the same. So use your gifts. Serve one another in ministry. This is one of the ways that the body of Christ is built up. And, and a second way is that we're called to speak the truth in love to one another. And if that seems like, how do we get there from gifts to speaking the truth? Oh, we just follow the text. That's where the text goes. We use our gifts to build up the body of Christ with this goal of growing in unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And that we wouldn't be children, so we're growing up, not tossed to and fro by waves, carried by every wind of doctrine. So the focus moves into um, 
unity in, in faith and, and doctrinal stability to the importance of truth in the community. And it is vitally important to continue to believe and proclaim the truth. To do so, though, always in love. Speaking the truth in love to one another. That's the key idea here. I was part of a church when I was young that had this slogan. They still do. It's printed on their bulletins. The slogan is, raw truth enveloped by loving relationships. Um, I, I never really liked the phrase that much, to be honest with you. And if I didn't know the church, I probably would have thought, this is the kind of place that they're really about the raw truth. Give me the truth and you know, we'll, we'll hammer you over the head with it. But we got to also love each other. But, but I was part of this church and knowing them, more than any, as much as any church I've ever been a part of, they really integrated truth and love. That's what's needed to build up a strong, healthy, good church. Both truth and love. We need to stay rooted in the truth as we find it in Christ. It's revealed in Scripture. We need to stay rooted to the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. The truth of what God has done in Christ is the hope of the world. We need to believe that and proclaim that. It's the truth that protects us from drift and instability when we're maybe drawn after gospels that promise us the wrong thing. Maybe health and wealth, prosperity gospels. You think, oh, that's just something to turn on and, on the TV. That's something to do down in the States. I'm part of a church that was planted by some people who had come out of a prosperity church. It happens even around here. It can be appealing to someone to promise you your best life now. It just might not be reflective of, of the whole gospel. We, we need to root ourselves in, in the truth. We could be tempted to follow along the culture's values. We get tired of not fitting, and I don't know about you, I don't, I don't want to be that weird guy. My, something might tempt me to just want to kind of go along with where the world's going. The world's got some good things. That they're doing some things right, but if, if they're leading the charge, we're going we're gonna to drift. We have to stay rooted to the truth as found in Christ. But this truth, this commitment to truth must be enveloped by love and by loving relationships. I can almost hear Paul, at least in one sense, emphasizing the second part, speaking the truth in love. Remember his context. He was a Pharisee. He was part of a group that said, we got the truth and we're angry about it. He knew what it was like to, be, to have a heartless commitment to the truth. He says, oh, we need the truth and to speak it in love. He says in 1 Corinthians, you could have all the knowledge in the world, fathom all mysteries, and you don't have love, you just make a noise, just racket. Such is the priority of love. My old, in my old church, I um, met this pastor. 
early on in my time there. And he was, he was on his way out. He was retiring. The church had just had a 70th anniversary or some landmark anniversary. And he was telling us about it. And he was saying how people got up and talked about different stages in the life of this church. And although they had times when people had left the church in small numbers or large numbers, he said, what came clear in this testimony night is that no one ever left this church because we failed to preach the truth. And he said it with a little twinkle in his eye. A couple years later, that church called a new pastor, very godly, humble man, real smart. It didn't even tell us he had a PhD and scientific field. He was just there to, to preach and good guy and Two years in, he shocked us. He showed up at our pastoral meeting one morning and he said he was resigning. He said, what happened? He, he simply said, I don't want to fight. That church never lost anybody because they failed to preach the truth. But they lost a lot of people, including this good pastor, because they failed to speak the truth in love, clearly. They're doing much better now. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to say. There's a cautionary tale here. I don't mean to be a downer, but here's a cautionary tale. Even this Ephesian church, they seem to be doing pretty good here. By the time you get to Jesus' seven letters in Revelation, he says to the Ephesian church, he commends churches and he gives them warnings and he says, you know, you're doing well. I'm happy that you've persevered and you, you've smoked out the false apostles. You've committed to the truth. But he says, I hold this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. So this can happen to churches. And confident of better things in your case. And I, I, again, this is one of those things, I'm sure this is a value that Church of the City embraces. Being, having a solid position, speaking the truth, but a generous and loving posture. And I think people are hungry to be part of a church like that. And again, like the gifts, I encourage you to continue living into that and growing into that. And how all this happens, I, I, it's one of those things like you use your gifts, speak the truth in love. How does that actually lead to all this growth and maturity? And I'm not exactly sure. There's a phrase though we use sometimes like in sports and training or I mentioned I'm doing a PhD with like academic where you're trying to reach some goal and it's hard to know how to get there. And we say, trust the process. And in this case, <clears throat> we can say even a little more, trust the person who gave us the process. Trust that Jesus is the one who said, this is my body, this is how I've made it, this is what I want you to do to build it up. Use your gifts serve one another, speak the truth in love. And as you do, you'll build up the church and he will be the one building you up. As it says, as you do that, we will grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you. You've made us your body. You've gifted us according to your pleasure and will. Lead us, empower us. As we strive in your strength to build each other up, Lord, we look to you to build us up, to be this church, your body, faithful and fruitful, that it would be in Guelph as it is in heaven. We thank you.